firm hand. All right, so uh, let's go ahead. We'll get started. For those of you at home, uh, welcome. Uh, sorry we are maybe late, depending on your um, time clock that you're using. We're going to be in uh, verses 7 through 14 of First John. We're like the opposite of what the youth are doing. They're doing five chapters of Deuteronomy, and we're doing, uh, you know, seven verses. <laughs> it's all good. Uh, let's, we'll go ahead and open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we just uh, come to you tonight, and we thank you for this opportunity to be together and to open your word and fellowship together, and we are grateful for that. And we just ask that your spirit would be with us as we dig into this text, and that as we engage our minds and our hearts, that you would move in us, uh, not only individually, but as a collective group, and that it would be in such a way that as we are so moved, we could go out and affect change in our world through advancing your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Isn't the stage so much brighter now? We added one light, um, so it's great. I don't need to wear shades um, just yet, but it's, uh, if you're like, something seems different tonight, uh, it's because we have more light in here. Like I said, we're going to go through 7 through uh, 14. Beloved, uh, I am writing to you, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes." I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. So if we remember back to last week, uh, he was talking about, John was writing and talking about the importance of obedience to the commandments that God has placed on followers of Jesus Christ. And, and again, we, we talk about this, and I think sometimes we, we kind of say, yeah, I get that, and other times we have a hard time uh, making sense of it. But there would, no, there would have been no break. There would have been no break in... Uh, the reading of this, you know, if somebody writes you a letter, you don't, you know, read the first paragraph and then set it down and then come back to it later. Oh, yeah, let me keep reading. No, you read the whole thing. Um, and so I'm a huge advocate, especially of these smaller books. If you, when we go to engage with a book, or in this case, a letter, which is also a book, to go through the whole thing at one sitting so that you can really kind of get the sense of it. So last week, we're talking about the uh, importance of obedience to the commandments, and he follows that up 
in this kind of next wave of thought. And, and we know there's this shift of, of thought to some degree because he addresses them as beloved. Now, if we could go through, if you wanted to go through, uh, you could look at all of the different terms of endearment that John uses for uh, the people that he's writing to. Last week we talked about this term of endearment, little children. Now he says, beloved. He says, I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. So why does he differentiate between old commandment versus new commandment? Well, part of it, remember, is he's writing over and against uh, this heresy of Gnosticism or this group called the Gnostics who uh, were all about this new set of knowledge, like this super secret new set of knowledge. And if you really want to know who God is, then you need to come to us and we'll tell you truly who God is. So, So there's there's people, we know there are people within the community of faith that are being drawn away from this commitment to Christ by the Gnostics. This, hey, got something that you really should know about. Um, and so part of that is John is saying, this isn't new. This isn't brand new. This is, in fact, old. It's old and it's new. But don't misunderstand, this is not some new revelation that we've gotten from God, which the Gnostics are claiming. And it's interesting because it makes us think about why do we believe the things that we believe? And we talked about this a couple weeks ago in, in what makes us believe something. And how often is it that we have this tendency to believe something new because we want something that is new and fresh. We want to have a hot take on a new thing. And oftentimes the new thing, the new piece of knowledge that we're drawn to is something that we've maybe heard slightly about or certainly appeals to our belief structure. I mean, classic example. Um, This was a while ago, trying to think when it even was. But Nikki's uh, someone that we're related to um, said, oh, there's this new pill that you can take that sends your body into ketosis and it's like a new kind of diet thing and you won't really have to do anything. We're like, yeah, that's fake. No, it's not. No, it's real. Like, I saw it on my Facebook feed, and if you click on it, like, there's these testimonials, and it's real. It's new, and it's real. It's new, but it's fake. (laughs) But how often is it that we're drawn into believing this new thing, especially if it's like, oh, hey, you want to be a part of this group? We have some special knowledge, and it's like, what does the writer of Ecclesiastes say? There's nothing new under the sun. I mean, like, this is not new. So may we take pause when something new comes out and it's supposedly this earth-shattering information that we really want to believe. Like, I would love to believe that eating Rafferty's every day of the week would allow me to lose weight. I would love to believe that. 
no matter how many times I say it, it's not going to make a difference. That's not going to make it somehow more true if I just say it more often. And John is, is saying that. He's saying, what I'm writing to you is not new. And yet it is new. And, and this is maybe only for Russ, but Russ, what is new? Yes. Anyone know? C over lambda. Does anyone else get it? I was, tell, I was telling everyone earlier. It's the formula for, for wave frequency. Hello? <laughs> I mean, a little physics joke on a Wednesday night? So there is nothing new except when something is new. And John is saying, what is new about this commandment that I'm about to tell you is how it is brought about. Newness in this commandment is the quality in which it is lived out. Because we know back in Leviticus, the Israelites were commanded to love other people. If you flip to Leviticus 19.18, a friend is reading through the, the Bible, and he's like, yeah, wow, this is really exciting stuff. Can't wait to get out of Leviticus. Um, Verse 18 at the end, well, it says, I mean, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Like, that sounds really familiar. That's not new. When Jesus says that, it's not new. It's old. It's how it is conveyed is where it is new. Likewise, John is quoting Jesus here. If you flip to John chapter 13, you know, part of the flipping in, uh, back to John is because I think it's, it reminds us of the connection between the two books. John 13, 34. Jesus is speaking. And he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Which begs the question, if it's, it's not a new commandment. We just know that. It's from Leviticus. So was Jesus lying by saying this is a new commandment? Of course he's not. That you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So this commandment that John is giving the people is not new. It's new in the sense that it comes from Jesus, and the way Jesus fulfills it is completely new and radical as it relates to the rest of the world. He says in verse 8, At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you. The interesting thing here is when we say it is true, when John says it is true in him, oftentimes what we think about is this concept of verified truth or the veracity of the statement is true true it's what jesus is saying is true but what john is trying to communicate is the life of jesus embodies this thing this love in such a way that you see what it actually is 
Like if you've ever um, been someplace, or especially nowadays, there's all sorts of uh, knockoffs. I've told this story many times to the youth when I was in uh, middle school. This new store opened in the, in the Sioux Falls Mall, and I was um, had to buy my own stuff if I wanted it. And so I wanted some Tevas or Tevas. So I go to this store. They look exactly like Tevas, except they're that store's brand. And at the time, the store was brand new, and it was called American Eagle. And so on the tag, it said AEO. And I was like, I mean, how's anyone going to tell the difference? It's a better deal. And so I buy them. I wear them to school, and of course, what do my friends say? What? What is that? AEO? Are you kidding me? You are generic Eric. (laughs) Yes. Oh, yes. And in fact, it's stuck for quite a while. And furthermore, there are still youth who are no longer youth that are actually out of college that when they see me, they will tell me that. No, those are not the true thing. Those are fake. And what John is saying is, if you want a picture of what true love really looks like, it is in Jesus Christ. And as Marshall says, truth conveys more the idea of a realization of the commandment in the lives of Jesus and the disciples. So when we say that it is true in him, which is true in him and in you, it is the authenticity of the quality of the love that is exuded by not only Jesus, but his followers. It is the clearest expression of something versus a soul Uh, representation, just a representation. He says, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Now, remember last week we talked about these, and we've been talking about these three tests, the moral test, which was um, last week. Now this week we're talking about the social test. Um, and, and this idea of this love being actualized or realized in these people. This is the social test. How do we intersect with other people? Last week, we've been talking about how do we relate to God and, and how do we connect with God through our obedience, and now this is a continuation of that in this concept of the social test. He says... Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Now, if you remember back, this is, this is terminology that John has used before, this category of whoever, followed by an action, uh, just back in verse 4, whoever says this thing, he kind of skips over that, and he says whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. 
and, and he starts to create this clear binary situation. And I, I know I'm not a huge fan of thinking in binary terms for the most part. John, however, paints this clear, clear as day, binary situation. And the two terms are love and hate. Now, what we want to do is we want to create some sort of gradation. Is that accurate? Or is it gradation? Gradation? Yes, okay. I'm a terrible speller. It's a different story for a different time. But anyways. So we want to say, well, there's, there is love. Then there's this spectrum. And then there's hate. And as we talked about today at lunch, you know, we, we say, you know, like, hate, hate. <laughs> like, if we say it twice, then we really know what we're talking about. But if I just say hate one time, it's not actual hate, like hate, hate actually is. So John wants to point this clear binary of light and darkness, love and hate. So, Light, love, darkness, hate. He says, whoever says he in the, is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. So what does it mean to hate? Because what John is continuing on this theme of is, if I am going to claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, which we talked about last week, I have to be obedient. Now, he takes that one step further. He goes slightly more granular, and he says, if you're going to claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you cannot hate other people. What you want to say is, no, that's not what he actually means. (laughs) What he means is you can't hate your brother. Or your sister, because that's what he says. And again, isn't it so interesting how we hear something and we want to twist it in such a way that it fits what we want it to fit, rather than saying, how do I fit my life with the truth of the Word of God? We want to take the Word of God and fit it into our form rather than the other way around. He says, whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Now, if you remember last week, this, uh, or this language around abiding in God and walking in the same way that he did, talking about uh, walking as Jesus walked, mimicking Jesus' walk. Here, what, what John is, is telling us is, To love other people is to abide in the light. Or to say it differently, if we are going to choose to walk as Jesus walked, then we must love other people. Which, now we have to start asking the question. Well, if I'm not supposed to hate, got to get my binaries correct, if we're not supposed to hate, what does it mean to hate? And if I'm, not, if I'm supposed to love, then I need to know what it means to love 
Just like last week, if, I need, if I'm supposed to be obedient, then I need to know what those things are that require my obedience. Well, here is one of them. And it's around this idea of love and hate. And what we have to, what we have to get absolutely abundantly clear is we could just as easily define love as the absence of hate, and we could say hate is the absence of love. So to say it differently, I don't really love that person. What I just said was, I hate that person. No, that's not what I said. (laughs) No, that's not what I said. Well, according to John's standard, that's exactly what you said. So when we think about this, we have two options that are very clear and distinct. But if we want to identify as followers of Jesus Christ, we have one option, and that option is to love other people. Because clearly there was some things going on within the church that John is writing to that people within the body were not treating each other well. (laughs) They were not loving each other. They were, in fact, hating each other. Now, when, when we're presented with something like this, we immediately have, um, what do we call it clinically? I think it's the yeah buts. I think that's the technical clinical diagnosis. Yeah, but what about, and, and then what do we do? We go to the absolute most ridiculous extreme example, right? Like, we, we, we want gradation in the love and hate, but when we want to talk about examples, we just go, like, all the way. And so, we're like, yeah, but Eric, so what about this person? Tonight you're sleeping, somebody invades your house, uh, kills your family. You love that person? You can't love that person. You hate that person. (laughs) Why can't we? Why do we have to go there, right? Like, why can't we say, let's talk in real, actual terms? The better question is, uh, so, your friend does something to you that is unbelievably hurtful. Says something to you, does something to you. Do you still going to love them? The answer should be yes. And as we're going to talk about next week, the world's answer is No! Absolutely not. Somebody does something to you. You write them off. They're done for. All these things. But John is saying, if we want to exist in the light, which again, light is consistent with being close to God, a disciple of Jesus Christ, everything in our relational sphere should be based on love. 
the way I react and respond to other people should be 100% out of love. Because again, if it's not out of love, it is hate. And I know, our immediate response is, yeah, but. Yeah, but. John doesn't give us a yeah, but. Jesus doesn't give us a yeah, but. Paul doesn't give us a yeah, but. I mean, if you've been to more than three weddings, you hear 1 Corinthians 13. (laughs) And Paul says, if I have all of these things, but do not love, it's no good. And so as we look at this, and we have this inner rising up of the yeah buts, we have to ask ourselves, why am I responding in such a way to this person? And I've told this story before, I'm pretty sure, about growing up in Yankton and how I was... I was taught at a very young age to hate the Watertown arrows. I think part of it is because they were purple and gold, yellow. That's my subconscious talking. And then I go to, to college, and on my floor, one of the guys that I play football with is from Watertown, and I'm like, no, but I hate you. Like, well, that's maybe a... That's, what a funny story. But it's, it's true. <laughs> now, the caveat in this is part of the challenge we face is our understanding of love has become so watered down that we don't truly understand this concept of love means. Because for the most part, we equate love with liking. And we, we say, oh, I love that. Like I just had uh, a delicious Tuscan chicken sandwich from Rafferty's with pesto instead of mayo because mayo is something that I hate with all my being. It's not a person, so I can hate it. I don't hate it with all my being. I'm like, oh, I love that sandwich. And what I'm saying is, I really like that sandwich. So we wrestle with these moments of these relationships that we have with people where God calls us to love them. And we really don't like them. Can I get an amen? That's why Nikki's grandpa would often, he would almost always say, I love you and I like you. Because there's going to come a time when I might love you, I will love you, but I might not like you. Paul is not, or John, Paul, John is not saying you have to like everyone. What he's saying is you have to love everyone. 
if we are going to identify as followers of Jesus Christ, we have to love everyone. And I know. <laughs> it's like a case of the hiccups, the yeah buts. What does it look like? He says, whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And I love that he uses this word walk because it's this continual forward motion. This is a constant living out of one's life. So when we are participating in loving people as Christ has called us to love, we are moving forward in the light where we can see everything that's going on. It's this visual clarity. And again, John is writing against these Gnostics that, that say, we have this secret knowledge, and if you want to be enlightened, intellectually enlightened, then you need our knowledge. And what John is saying, if you want to be in the light, not enlightened, but actually be in the light, then it starts with abiding in Christ and loving. And there's no worry about this idea of stumbling. Because remember, what, we what we've been talking about is this concept of sin and sin in our lives and overcoming the sins that exist. And what he's saying is, when we are living in love, loving other people, we are living in the light, and we can see the sin that exists in front of us, and we won't trip over it. We won't get caught up in it. But we all know this feeling, right? Oftentimes, I fall asleep, before I put the dog downstairs in his kennel. Then in the middle of the night, he'll wake up and he'll be licking himself. And I'm like, why are you still in here? But it's dark and the house is sleeping. And I don't want to turn the lights on, right? So then I'll go to take him downstairs. And multiple times... There's one more step. <laughs> dum, dum, dum. The irony is, he knew it was there. Or you have or have that moment where you're like, get out of bed. Oh, I don't want to wake anyone up. And you kick the corner of the bed. You're like, why did that move in the middle of the night? When the lights are on, you never kick the bed because you see it's there. And what Paul is saying, or Paul, this is the problem with going between Philippians and then John in a few short days. When we are living with this concept of hating other people, when we have hate residing in our hearts, we are in darkness and we're going to stumble because we don't know what's in front of us. Because this sin that exists, the sin of hate, clouds our vision. And in fact, he says, you do not know where you're going. And, and if, you're ever, if you've ever been in a moment where 
you're in the woods at dark and you don't have any light, you can very easily get lost (laughs) because you can't see where you're going, even though it's super familiar territory. And the way out is through love. And John wants to drive home that point that the sin of hate blinds us from seeing what we are to do in our lives. Yes. Yes. So it says, uh, fellow believers, I have to say this out loud for the people that are at home because they can't see you. So some translations say fellow believer. This is a great example of John is writing to a very particular context, to a situation where they have problems. They are, there's infighting going on, and they're not loving each other. So his instruction is very specific. You need to love each other because what you're doing right now is not loving each other. I think that the danger and the warning is Well, the Bible says all I have to do is love my fellow believer. That would be a complete misrepresentation of the Scripture. Because Jesus says, who's my neighbor? Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, who's my neighbor? If we, as a body, part of what John is trying to say is, if we as a body of Christ would love each other, which we should be the easiest people to love, We should be able to love each other the easiest. I mean, we go back to this concept of fellowship. But when there's hate that exists within the body of Christ, people look at the body of Christ and they're like, why would I ever want to be a part of that? I have have been struggling to a very large degree Because I see what fellow followers of Jesus Christ are doing to one another online, and it absolutely breaks my heart. Because if I know that this person goes to Timberwood Church, and I know that this person goes to Timberwood Church, and I don't go to Timberwood Church, and I see how these two treat each other, I say, I don't want to have anything to do with what's going on at Timberwood Church. So this word from John, yes, it is about church familial relationships. But if we want to make an excuse for how we treat people outside of the church based on this text, that's that's an unclimbable hill. So, to answer your question, which it wasn't even a question, it was a statement, uh, yes, uh, I don't think we should stop there. So, what do we do about the military? Um, that is a great question. 
that is not at all addressed here in the text, um, that is one that we certainly have to wrestle with. Well, yes, Psalm 91 is God talking to the nation of Israel, the chosen people. That is also true, and David was also the chosen king of the chosen people of God. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, if you hate someone, you are guilty of murder. So as we look at this, we see that's where we get this old, new commandment this new commandment is, it is a complete revolutionizing of how we view intersecting with other people. And, and as we get into, spoiler alert, the next section, John says, do not love the world. <laughs> and so, when we identify as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to be known by our love, which is what John is saying, and we cannot have hate that exists in our lives towards other people. I mean, that's what the text says. So if you want to debate the text, we could debate the, de- we could debate the text at a different time. Right. That's exactly what John says. Right, but the world is not people. And we're going to get into that next week because the, the, the words that John uses for the world are about the system of the world and not the individuals. And, and again, every time we come to a text, we have to ask ourselves, am I going to take this text and make it fit to what I want it to fit? Or am I going to come to the text and allow the text to shape me into what Christ has called me to be, which is called spiritual formation. And John clearly says, if you hate other people, you're walking in darkness and you're blinded. And again, part of the the language that he uses here is, this is going to happen. This isn't like, I've chosen to love Therefore, I will never experience hate. (laughs) Because if we remember, in, in the previous passages, this idea of be encouraged because we have an advocate who is Jesus so that when we do sin, when we do have hate in our hearts, he will forgive us of that. One of the one of the key survival techniques, if you're lost in the woods in the dark is not to keep walking. You're in darkness. Okay, I'm stuck. I'm in the dark. I don't know where I'm going. I should probably just keep walking. And it's, I should sit down and wait <laughs> until the light shows up and I'm able to see where I'm going. And it's interesting because then he goes right into these three categories of people. He says, I'm writing to you, little children, Because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. 
I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. What's interesting here is there's all this discussion around, is this three separate groups of people? Is it three separate groups of people based on their age? Is it three separate groups of people based on their spiritual maturity? Is it actually two sets of people with one overarching label of children? And the great thing about reading the commentators is they're very cordial in their disagreement with one another because they know there's not one clear-cut answer. So rather than savaging the other people, they say, there's a good chance that you could make a case for any of those positions. This is the case that I'm taking. This is the position that I'm taking, and they can take that position and they'll be just as accurate. But what we do know is John in the start of this chapter referred to the whole congregation that he's writing to as little children. So, that seems to make the case that this is a larger group of people. And right after talking about this social test of love and hate, where people were certainly feeling like, well, I mean, if that's the standard, I don't even know where I fit. And again, we remind ourselves that the whole point of this letter is to assure the the individuals that exist in this church of their salvation. And so what he says is, okay, we just talked about a really hard thing. When you do hate, when you miss the mark on love and loving other people, you can experience forgiveness. So he sets this high bar and he says, when you don't get over the bar, don't quit. You have forgiveness of your sins because of Jesus. And then he talks to these other two groups and he says, to you fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. And again, this is a theme that he keeps going back to. You know, Christianity in the world seems to be like it's this brand new thing. And John is saying what we're talking about and who we're talking about is not something that's brand new. It is, in fact, has been around since the beginning. And the implication here is these are very mature followers of Jesus Christ who know who God is and are living their faith on a consistent basis and are leaders within the church. And the reason why we know that is because last week when we talked about this idea of knowledge and knowing things, when we know God, we are obedient to God and we love God. And he says, those of you who have been abiding in the Father for a very long time have this status of Father. We see this same reference by Paul in other places talking about this identification of mature followers of Jesus Christ. And then these young men, they have overcome the evil one. More than likely, this is a group of semi-mature, I mean, I guess you could probably say pubescent followers of Jesus. (laughs) Like they're through going through the maturing process, but they are fired up and zealous for the things of God, 
And so where are they? They're out there on the front line battling with the evil one. And not just battling, but they have overcome. They have come into the faith. They have recognized the sins that exist in their lives. And they are overcoming those sins. And they are out there. And and John is trying to encourage them in that place in their faith. Basically, what he says is no matter where you're at in this faith trajectory or faith walk, I want to encourage you with these things. And then, he's, then he switches a little bit, and we're like, well, why, why does he switch tense? I write to you children because you know the Father. I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. More than likely, this concept of why is he switching tenses is because he's, this isn't the beginning of the letter. He's writing these things, and he has written things about this exact topic, and he wants to remind them of what he's already said. And the one thing that we want to land on is, again, this concept of knowing the Father and the importance of knowing the Father. And, and the linguistics around this is he puts this word to know in the perfect tense, which is about something that has happened in the past, come to know, and is currently being fleshed out. So they have come to know the Father in the past, and they are continuing to come to know who the Father is. It's this clear growth factor that exists within those who are identified as disciples of Christ. Bless you. And notice that he adds in verse 14, how is it that they're overcoming the evil one? It's the word of God abiding in them. The importance of not only knowing what has been said in Scripture, but embracing it and allowing it to resonate and permeate within their beings so that they can overcome the evil one. So he sets them up with this challenge around the social test, love and hate, and then he says, but don't forget Don't forget that as we go throughout this thing called life, God is with you and he's forgiving you and he's encouraging you and and we are going to be victorious. I mean, that's what he says. We've overcome the evil one. Like, it's in the past. We're doing this. So do not give up and do not lose heart. And I love to keep going, but then what will we talk about next week? (laughs) So if you have not been in a group, I think most of you have been in a group, come on up, uh, and I will get you into a group.